Uh, good morning, Faith Fellowship. Good morning. So we are going to be wrapping up our series in the Masculine Psalms today in Psalm 142. Um, so uh, we can be turning there, but also we'll have it up here in a second. And uh, next week, or next month, sorry, we're going to be starting our survey through uh, the entirety of Psalms. So we'll keep going with Psalm Sunday. Uh, Rashad is going uh, to lead us through that, uh, and that's going to be exciting. But today we're going to be in Psalms 142, so let's just head over there. And uh, I'm just going to pray real quick. Uh, Father, I just uh, come before you this morning, just ask that you set me aside, uh, Lord, uh, and just uh, give us what you have for us today, Lord. Um, I've got those uh, pre-preaching jitters and those uh, too much coffee, so uh, Lord, just put me out of the way. And let's, uh, let's hear from you today, in Christ's name. So, a masculine of David, Psalms 142, a prayer when he was in the cave. It says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and with my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him, I showed, him, I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then now knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, they have privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. So real quick, what is a masculine psalm? <clears throat> I'm not trying to put us on the spot here, but we have been going through this for over a year now, and this is our final one. So does anyone want to take a guess on what it means? Yeah, teaching or instruction. That's right. Masculine means instruction. Psalm means song. So this is a song of instruction. Which for us should also provoke the question, what is the instruction that David, or more so, what is God trying to teach us through this psalm? Well, to better understand what was being taught here, I think we should first try to understand what was going on with David at the time when he was crying out to the Lord in Psalms 142. This will help us to better understand the historical context, but it will also understand uh, David's intentions. Why? Right? So we can understand more history? More Bible? Yeah. So we can get to know David a little better? Sure but more so so that we can take and learn from David's example and apply it to our own lives. Right here, right now. So as uh, David, man, David's really going through it here. And again, I bet we're all going through something today, right? I, I know for a fact that there are several of us in this room that are going through things right now where, man, we are desperate for the Lord, just as David was here in this cave. And if you're not, I mean, I guarantee it's that you know someone in your life that is. And whatever the case may be right now, I promise you, those hard seasons will come for us all, just as they did for David here. And there will be times where we all need supplication, where we all need comfort, companionship, refuge, deliverance, and, and, and direction. And these are the very things that David was crying out to the Lord for here. So let's take a look at what David was going, or what was going on with David, so we can better understand what God is trying to teach us through this masculine. Uh, to do this, we should first look at uh, where our first clue uh, is given to us in, uh, in the introduction, which says, a prayer of David while he was in the cave, which should beg the question then, what cave? Well, I believe the answer to this, and I wish we could get a little deeper on that, would be in 1 Samuel 22.1, where it says, where we read, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And with just a little careful study, it's fairly apparent that this was the cave in the time that, uh, that David had prayed this prayer, and he wrote Psalm 142, mainly because all the things that David was crying out to the Lord for here in Psalm 142 are also all the things that he was desperately lacking in, in the events leading into this cave of Dulem, which all line up with our psalm today. And those things, again, being supplication, comfort, companionship, refuge, deliverance, and direction. It's a lot, and we're going to try and fit it all in. 
So this all begins with David's desperate circumstances that found himself uh, running from King Saul, who he just found out was trying to kill him. Without a doubt, he's trying to kill him. And in fact, you could say that Saul has now become the mad king. And his jealousy towards David, he will stop at nothing to get him. In fact, we see Saul try to have David killed some nine times between chapters 18 and 20 in 1 Samuel, which is awesome because I didn't even know we were going to go through 1 Samuel, but uh, we'll get to go through that with Del, so we won't spend too much time on that. But, uh, and this all snowballs into the events that resulted with David hiding out alone in the cave. And on a side note here, I say it's also worth mentioning that David was very prolific in his writing at this time. Right, because of his desperate circumstances. And I'd even say at the very least that Psalms 52 through 57, that's 52, 53, 54, 55, 56, 57, and then Psalms 143, 142, that's nine Psalms total that were all written about or from this time that David was in this cave and the events leading up to it and the events right after it. Also worth noting, more than half of those Psalms are Maskil Psalms. Five out of the nine are Maskils. So I would say it's fairly safe to assume that David was learning a lot at this time. And there's probably a lot that we can learn as well from his unfortunate circumstances, but also from his response to those circumstances, both good and bad. Before we go up any further, though, let's, uh, let's pick it up in 1 Samuel 21. and Let's see the events that transpired between David learning uh, of Saul's intentions towards him and him setting out on the run and what finally brought him to his knees in prayer in Psalm 142 in the cave of Dulem. And... Uh, before we get to uh, Psalms 120, or let's get to 1 Samuel 21. I guess we have it up here. Uh, back in 1, 20, or 1 Samuel 20, somebody pray for me. I can't talk today. I'm just like stumbling on myself. Saul's son, Jonathan, let, just lets David know that dear old dad, King Saul, who, by the way, at this time is probably the most powerful man in the world. Okay, so David has a good reason to be afraid. <clears throat> but he was definitely out for his blood. And so David took to desperately running for his life. And man, David was desperate, right? But desperation... I'm telling y'all, desperation in his circumstances, that wasn't David's main problem. It, his problem was his response to those circumstances, at least initially. And as we go through this today, we should also be asking ourselves, do we handle the desperate circumstances in our own lives any differently than David does here? And if not, how can we handle them differently? And more so, how can we address them God's way? How can we address them biblically? So 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1. Then came David to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David, and said unto him, Why art thou alone, and no man with thee? So David is alone here, just as he tells us in Psalm 142, verse 4. And David said unto Ahimelech the priest, The king hath commanded me a business, and hath said unto me, Let no man know of anything of the business whereabout I send thee, and what I have commanded thee, and I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. So David lies to the priest, right? <clears throat> I mean, and let's just pause for a moment, because David is desperate. He's on the run. He hasn't eaten or slept much in days. And uh, there, there's another great practical lesson here, y'all, about, uh, you know, being well-nourished and being well-rested, especially when we have things to do or we have decisions to make. That's probably another lesson for another day. But what we will get into today is, is that in fear and in desperation and in weariness, David goes to the priest. He goes to the man of God, and he lies to him. He tells him he's about the king's business, which in a roundabout way uh, he is, because the king's business right now is to kill David. So <laughs> there's a truth to it. But the point here is, is that David is definitely trusting in his own wisdom right now, and he is not trusting in the wisdom of God. Uh, James, uh, the Apostle James, not Pastor James, though I think Pastor James would probably agree with this, uh, tells us in James 3.17 that the wisdom that is from above is first pure. 
right? And, and so it, he's not going to get God's wisdom lying here. And we all know that God strictly commands against lying, right? Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. It's part of the Ten Commandments, right? And God hates a lying tongue. So what David's doing here, even in his desperate circumstances, is never God's way or his will. But I ask you all again, if we're, if we're getting real with ourselves, have we ever handled a situation in our own life similarly, right? <clears throat> according to our own wisdom, according not to God's will or his word, but rather, do we, make, do we ever make exceptions, right, concerning what you know God commands us or, or he expects from you? Do you ever justify bad or even ungodly decisions based on your circumstances? Unfortunately, I, I know I have, right? That's part of my testimony, right? That, that's, that's part of what, what led me to the Lord. That's part of where I had to blow up my own life, uh, and, and God had to put me back together. Uh, but, man, even, even though it's been a long time, I try to never forget that it can happen again. It happens all the time. Good Bible-believing Christians all the time fall apart blow up their own lives, make bad decisions. Amen. Amen. And God forbid, man, that any of us here ever think that, man, we're just, we're, we're walking so tall that because we're saved, man, and as we're in a good season that, man, it can't happen to us, right? I mean, David, he prays a good prayer here in Psalms 142. He prays a real good prayer. And, man, by the end of this, he does get it right. But I'm going to tell you, this is well before the events where he falls with Bathsheba. This is well before the events where he has the, makes the mistakes with Absalom and his kids. Right? So even David falls again. But another message for another time. The practical key there, by the way, is humility and accountability. Because I'm telling you, you can't have one without the other. You cannot be accountable without being humble first. Because you will buck back against that accountability all the way. It won't work. And you're just hurting yourself and, and those you love. And everyone around you. And the Lord. <laughs> Anyways, long story short, David lies to the priest of Himalek, And so he gives David bread to eat. Right? But that's not all he gave him. We, let's pick it back up, First Samuel 21, verse 7. It says, Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, that dog Doeg, and the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. Remember this guy. And David said unto Ahimelech, And is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? He's like, I got the bread, but hey, I could, I could use a weapon too. For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. It did. And the priest said, the, the sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here, wrapped in a cloth, behind the ephod. If thou wilt take that, take it. For there is no other save that here. And David said, there is none like that. Give it me. So now we see that David is trusting in the weapons of man, and more so even the, the victories of his past. Which is funny because, man, that sword, it didn't do its previous owner, Goliath, any good when he wielded it against David. And David knew that all too well. For David, the sword did remove the head of, in, of, of his enemy, Goliath, right? It did take the giant's head, but that's not what slew the giant back in 1 Samuel 17. It was the hand of God directing that stone from the slingshot. And more so, it was David's uncanny faith that God would do it. And that's what he's lacking here. And it may have been important at the time and in that past victory, but, man, David hasn't needed that sword since. Not in all the other victories that God's given him, Right? In fact, David didn't even know that sword was there. And don't get me wrong, man. Sometimes, guys, we need to be reminded of the victories of our past. But that's just so that we can remember who it was who gave us those victories in the first place. And to be fair, David probably looked at that sword many times, in fact, after. Because it never says that he relinquishes the sword. In fact, 
never really mentions it again except for one more time, and it's going to be in a very negative context, and we're going to look at that in a second. But, man, <clears throat> he may have looked at that piece of metal, and he may have been reminded at times that, man, God was with him now just as he had been with him then as a young man when he defeated Goliath the Gath, right, the giant of giants, the champion of the Philistines. And quite possibly that reminder is even part of what drove him to his knees in the cave. When all else failed him, and David remembered that God was greater than his opposition, even now in his current circumstances as he prays at the Maskell in Psalms 142. After trying to do things his own way and just making everything worse, until he finally remembers who it was that brought him all those past victories in the first place. And just like David, y'all, we need to remember who it is that brings the victory in our lives, past, present, and future. And David, he shouldn't have needed a piece of metal to remind him that. In relation to what we've been talking about here concerning David's responses to his circumstances, I would say that David clearly wasn't acting in faith here at this moment, but rather he was reacting in fear and desperation. And it's hard to judge him again, you know. It's, it, it was a desperate situation. But there's also an irony we shouldn't miss here about the fact that the sword was just sitting there, not locked up or anything, just wrapped up behind the ephod, behind the priest's ephod. Because that ephod, that was a symbol of God's obedience to, uh, obedience to God's laws and authority, both of which David was clearly not in while he was lying to the man of God. So no, I don't think he should have taken the sword from Ahimelech because David's lies had already put the priest in a really bad situation a really bad position. And I believe from what we can see from what happens next that taking the sword just made things so much worse. So our evidence is in 1 Samuel 22, 6. Thank you, brother. When Saul heard that David was discovered and the men that were with him, now Saul abode in Gibeah under a tree in Ramah, having his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. Then Saul said unto his servants that stood about him, Here now, ye Benjamites, will, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards and make you all captains of thousands and captains of hundreds? that all of you have conspired against me. He's having a little pity party here. And there is none that showeth me that my son hath made a league with the son of Jesse. And there is none of you that is sorry for me or showeth unto me that my son hath stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait at this day. And then we see this dog, Doeg. Then answered Doeg the Edomite, which was set over the servants of Saul and said, Hey, king, I, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob to Ahimelech, the son of Hittah. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him victuals and gave him the sword of Goliath. Hmm. Then the king sent to Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests that were there in Nob. <clears throat> and they came all of them to the king. And Saul said, Hear now the son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said unto him, why have you conspired against me, thou and the son of Jesse, David, and that thou hast given him bread and a sword? And hast inquired of God for him, that he should rise against me to lie in wait as at this day? And then Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who is so faithful among all thy servants as David, which is the king's son-in-law, and goeth at thy bidding, and is honorable in thine house? Did I then begin to inquire of God for him? I'm not against you. I thought he was your man, your son-in-law. Be it far from me, let not the king impute anything unto his servant, nor to all the house of my father. For thy servant knew nothing of this, less or more. And something interesting to point out here is that Saul is accusing Ahimelech of betraying him by doing three things. The first was that he accused him of giving him bread, which he did. And I believe that Ahimelech probably still would have done that had David been honest with him. <clears throat> but the second thing is he gave him Goliath's sword. 
This he also did, but I don't know that he would have given him the sword had he been honest with him and told him the issues that were happening between him and Saul. Right? And also, it wouldn't have put Ahimelech in a position where it made him look like he was arming David in some secret coup against Saul. Now, Saul was out of his ever-loving mind at this time, and that is worth noting and taking into consideration. And he had an evil spirit from the Lord upon him as well because of his own rebellion to God. So who knows if it would have affected what he's about to do here today, but I can tell you that because David lied, the priest did unwittingly give him the sword. So we'll never know the side of heaven if it would have made a difference. But man, I can safely say again that the Lord hates a lying tongue. So we know that that ain't right. And we don't want to do it our way. We want to do it God's way. The third thing, though, that Saul accused Ahimelech of was inquiring of God for David. And I think this is the most interesting. Because if you look back in that previous chapter in those verses we just read, that was the one thing David never did. He did not inquire of God. He did not ask the priest to inquire of God. And it was probably the first thing that he should have done. Why? Because the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Back then, just as it does today, y'all. But instead, this happens, picking it back up in verse 16. And the king said, Thou shalt surely die, Ahimelech, thou and all thy father's house, because of David's lies. And the king said unto the footmen that stood about him, Turn and slay the priests of the Lord, because their hand also is with David, and because they knew when he fled and did not show it to me. But the servants of the king would not put forth their hand to fall upon the priests of the Lord. They knew it was wrong. And the king said to Doeg, Turn thou and fall upon the priests. And that dog Doeg, the Edomite, he turned and he fell upon the priests and slew on that day fourscore and five persons that did wear the linen ephod. That's 85 priests. But not just them. And Nob in the city of priests smote he with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and sucklings, babies and oxen and asses and sheep with the edge of the sword. And one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar showed David that Saul had slain the Lord's priests. And David said unto Abiathar, don't miss this. I knew it that day when Doeg the Edomite was there that he would surely tell Saul. Sure didn't stop him from lying, though, did it? I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. Yeah, it did. Yeah, he did. And we can't miss that, man. David knew it. He knew what was right. He knew what was right then and there. But he was so desperate and he was so in fear that he still did it. He knew that his lies and actions could potentially bring calamity upon him. Like, I don't believe he knew to the extent that Saul's madness would have taken that, where he would have slew in the whole city, killed everybody. But man, now he has to live with the consequences of his actions, right? Because in fear and in desperation and in weariness, he didn't, he didn't trust in what God had already promised him he would do in those promises that God had given him, or even what he had seen God already do in his life. And now 85 priests and all their families, all dead. And David's next choices weren't much better, by the way, as it kind of just goes downhill from there, right? This is after David left uh, Ahimelech with the bread and Goliath's sword, 1 Samuel 21, picking it up in verse 10 through 15. It says, And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. So now David is running to the enemies of the Lord for his refuge, right? And not only that, but he's running to the king of Gath, carrying the sword of Goliath of Gath, like, what does he think is going to happen? Like, hey, king, remember me, the guy who slew your champion, killed all your men, right? Brought you all that trouble? You got any rooms for rent? It, it, it's, it, his, his reasoning is, is just off the chain here. 
And he realizes it's a bad mistake real quick. He says in verse 11, And the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did not they sing one to another of him and dances, saying, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? And David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So now David is fearing the, the very man, the very people that God had already given him victory over in the past. Right? How's that sword working out for him now? And he changed his behavior before them. And he feigned himself mad in their hands. And he scrabbled on the doors of the gate. And he let the spell fall down upon his beard. Then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, you see the man is mad. Wherefore then have you brought him to me? And have I need of madmen that ye have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? You want me to let him in to my home? So first David goes lying and stirring up trouble for the people of God when he runs to the priests. Then he runs to the enemies of God looking for refuge. Just like us, by the way, so often, right, when we're in desperation or we're in sin or we're just not doing what's right by the Lord, which is sin, man, we run back to the world, right, looking to solve our problems there, looking for our refuge there, thinking they're going to supply our needs. What's funny is is that they didn't even want him. And this is when David takes off and goes and hides in the cave alone at Adullam. This is where we see him in Psalms 142. So coming back to Psalms 142 and the things that David was now crying out to the Lord for. So, my skill of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. Psalms 142, verse 1. says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed him my trouble. So again, first we had seen David run to the priests for his bread, for bread and for refuge, right? And he even looked at the weapons of man and the victories of his past to supply his needs. But ultimately, that just brought a whole lot of bad on everyone. I think mainly because he didn't inquire of the Lord first. But also because he did it deceitfully in a panic. And he didn't do it God's way. He was doing it his own way, in his own wisdom. And then we even see him run to the enemies of God's people out in the world looking for them to supply his needs and his refuge. But that didn't work out either, did it? And it isn't until he arrives alone at the cave, Adullam, that he finally confesses his issues and even his complaints before the Lord. And David gets his head and his heart right and starts looking to the Lord for his supply. Pick it up in verse 3. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, David says... Then thou, God, you knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, they have privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man who would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. David says in verse 3 that his spirit was overwhelmed within him. He needed comfort, right? He needed peace. David went out from Saul hopeless and in a spirit of fear. And he makes bad decision after bad decision and brings down those bad decisions on everyone else. God had a plan for David, just as he has a plan for each and every one of us here. Right? But when we are operating in a spirit of fear and desperation, we're not going to make wise and we're not going to make godly decisions, everyone. And we will be of no use to him. He can't use us in that condition. Right? How can we fulfill his plan and will for our lives if we aren't living according to his plan and will for our lives? This is why God gives us a spirit of power 
and of love and of a sound mind, right? So that we can be at peace even in the most dire of circumstances. And we can make wise and godly decisions that will bless us, that will bless all those around us, that will bless God, that will glorify him. David also said in the psalm that he, he looked to his right and there was no man that would know him. And no man cared for his soul. He needed companionship. He needed fellowship. Firstly, he needed to have fellowship with the Lord. He needed to get alone with God. He needed to inquire of the Lord. But then he also needed the fellowship of other people. People who could share in his struggles. People who could share in his victories. People who believed the same thing that he did. See where I'm going with this? Particularly concerning what God had already promised him. Right, church? And right after this time of prayer and praise in the cave in Psalm 142, we do see that David, or that God does come through on David's request for companionship. Because in 1 Samuel 21, 1, it says, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Dulam. When his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress and everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented. And by the way, that sounds a whole lot like the body of Christ, doesn't it? Right? When I came to the Lord, man, I was in distress. And I bet a lot of you were too. Man, I knew I was in debt to the Lord because I had a sin debt to pay. Right? And I couldn't pay it on my own. And man, I was discontented by what the world had to offer. Or rather, what, how little the world had to offer. And yet we tend to run back to that same world, right? Looking for, looking for them to fulfill something. No, but see, they all gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over, over them. Nice picture of Christ, too, by the way. And there were with him about 400 men. It's almost as if God says right here, all right, David, now that you're done doing things your way, and now that your eyes and your heart are focused on me and not just on your circumstances, well, now you're ready to start fulfilling your purpose, right? And even to start leading others which I guarantee you is what God wants for each and every person in this room as well. His word tells us so. David had also said that his refuge had failed him. And just as we had discussed before, David had to make some poor choices that led him nowhere before he finally realized that God was his refuge. God alone was his refuge. God alone was his portion in the land of the living. David had been looking for love in all the wrong places, right? But now he was looking for his refuge in the Lord. And he finishes Psalm 142, verses 6 and 7. He says, attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. He prayed to be delivered from his persecutors and and from this prison of bondage that he was in, physically and and mentally and spiritually, right? He needed deliverance. And in fact, it's just as Dell told us in his message last week, and I love this, I stole this because he set it up perfectly. Dell said that deliverance takes place when we cry out to the Lord. And that is exactly what David is doing here. He is crying out to the Lord for deliverance, and the Lord responds, He needed the Lord to answer. He needed the sound counsel and guidance of the Lord. He needed direction. And there's something else that's really cool here, I think, and it's in 1 Samuel 23. This is the chapter right after Saul kills all those priests, right after David had been making all those bad decisions, right? And now he's got himself right in the cave of Adullam, 
right? David begins inquiring of the Lord for everything. Every step he takes, he starts inquiring of the Lord. And, the, and we can see the change. We can also see the change in the results of this. So, in fact, by submitting and inquiring of the Lord, David ends up coming to the rescue of his brethren, Kilah, and starts to fulfill the purpose that God has always had for him. First uh, Samuel 23, verse 1. Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines fight against Kilah, and they rob the threshing floors. Now, old David would have been like, all right, let's go, right? But instead he says, no, wait, therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and smite these Philistines? And the Lord said unto David, go and smite the Philistines and save Kalah. And David's men said unto him, behold, we'd be afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we come to Kalah against the armies of the Philistines? Old David would have been like, yeah, I need an army. Come on, let's go. But in this case, he's like, no, God might want me to go alone, so I need to ask. And it says, and David inquired of the Lord yet again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Kalah, for I will deliver the Philistines into thine hand. So David and his men went to Kalah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their cattle and smote them with a great slaughter. So David saved the inhabitants of Kalah. And here now, after all these mistakes, we finally see David getting back on this path, uh, on this, uh, this path of doing the work of the Lord, right, of becoming the man of God that he's supposed to be, of becoming the king that God had always intended him to be. But it wasn't until he was brought low in humility and acknowledging the Lord that he could do this, which was key in David's prayer life, which it, as it, just as it should be in ours, right? And, and that's, a, that, that's me preaching at me. That, that's a confession to me, right? That, 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 that so often I'm like, okay, I got to pray, and I just make it this quick thing. No, let's get low in humility, right? Let's be desperate for the Lord. Let's be completely dependent on the Lord as David was here. So this prayer... In Psalm 142, which is called a maskil, right? A psalm of instruction. And, and, and I believe, I asked earlier, what is the instruction it's trying to teach us? Well, I believe that, that this is because of the hard lessons that David himself had to learn, right? In the cave and in, in retrospect of his circumstances and his choices, good and bad, right? And, and all alone and on his knees, desperate for the Lord in prayer. And for me, I... I suppose that what I'm taking from all this is that when times get tough, and I'm telling you all, times will get tough. And I don't have to tell the people in this room that because I know you all either are or have been through something. But, man, when times get tough, let's not try to do things our way. Let's try to do things the Lord's way, right? No, let's do things the Lord's way. There is no try, right? I'm going to do a little Yoda there. Uh, <laughs> but, man, let's get on our knees. Let's take it before him. Okay, and I really, I don't think I could say it any better than what David's own son Solomon, how he said it in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, which is to trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. So we do have a little bit of extra time today, which I was hoping to have. I think I talked too fast in the first part anyways, but that's good. So um, um, let's break up into some groups. And, man, if you're going through something desperate, if you're going through something that, man, you need prayer on, man, if you just got to get with one person, get with one person. If you want to get with a, a group of people, get with a group of people. But let's, let's get in fellowship together. Let's, let's help each other and not just do it in this room. If somebody gives you a prayer and gives you a desperate need, let's follow up on that. Brother, sister, let's follow up on that. Let's be there for each other. Because it has to extend beyond here. That, that's what fellowship is, right? It's doing life together. And I'm telling you this, too, because we have to have this mentality as well. It's also doing eternity together, 
because the fact is, is that we're not just here together at Midtown or here together in, in this room today, but we will be in eternity together. And if we can get that mentality, if we can wrap our minds around that, and our hearts around that, that's going to change the way we, we interact with each other. That's going to change the way we deal with each other. It's going to change the, the it's going to affect everyone in our lives, everyone around us. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and do that. Let's break into groups and uh, thank you all. Love you all.